Cedar Point's Frontier Festival is back and brimming with new flavor. From May 26th through June 19th, this Old West-inspired street fest will fill Cedar Point with live bands, nightly hoedowns, and a hubbub of family activities. Yup, you'll find wheelbarrows packed with sunflowers and characters straight out of the frontier. But you'll also discover 25 cherry-inspired dishes and over 65 cocktails, seltzers, and beers. Get all the fixins plus savings to boot with the Frontier Festival Bundle, which includes admission, parking, and a tasting card. Only at cedarpoint.com. Whether you need to restock the fridge or just have a sudden, intense craving for cheese puffs, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. From groceries to household items, Kroger delivers right to your door. So don't let one major craving have you reaching for your car keys. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery times not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to a special edition of the Michiana People podcast. My guest for this episode is Roger Batten, executive producer of Indigan Storytelling. Now, to understand Indigan Storytelling, you will have to listen to the episode, which is quite compelling. The reason why I'm putting this episode up out out of order and early is because Roger has an event coming up at Morgan's Little Black Dog in the 100 Center in Mishawaka coming up this Sunday, June 26th. Morgan's Little Black Dog from 10 to 4. It's an Indigan Storyteller workshop at Morgan's, and this one is entitled Hot Summer Night Stories. During the podcast, you'll find out what uh, the storytelling movement is all about and how Roger and his team actually goes about getting folks to go up and tell their stories. But uh, I found that this this is uh, extremely interesting and uh, I think it's uh, important to get word out. Uh, the workshop fee is just 35 bucks, and you get lunch, and I believe you get some wine as well. So it sounds like a very fun time. I am also going to put links to some future events up, but the, the big event that uh, I'd like to get word out about is the Hot Summer Night Stories at Morgan's Little Black Dog in the 100 Center, June 26th from 10 to 4. Uh, that's uh, this Sunday. I will put links up to the website where you can register. The website that you can register at, if you want to go there right now, is indiganstoryteller.org. That's I-N-D-I-G-A-N-S-T-O-R-Y-T-E-L-L-E-R.org. Uh, indiganstoryteller.org and uh, in the podcast you'll find out where Indigan comes from as well. I did want to mention my sponsors. Uh, whether you're a home computer user or have a large network for your business, you just want the stuff to work. Can you answer these three questions? How much data would I lose if my computer or server crashed? Is my data truly secure? Is my network keeping up with my computer users? If not, don't worry. Mapletronics can help answer those questions. Go to mapletronics.com forward slash Michiana people for an absolutely free gift and explore the website to see what Mapletronics can do for you. Do you have a marketing plan? Do you know where to start? Does social media make your head spin? Vala Marketing can help you with a marketing strategy from logo to website to social media presence. Check out volamarketing.com forward slash Michiana people for one of the most hilarious free gifts you'll receive from a podcast. Vala is a big asset to the podcast and can be a big help in developing your market strategy. And get your name on the Hall of Fame while you're there. And, and now here's my podcast with Roger Batten executive producer of Indigan Storytelling. I think you're going to like this one. Welcome to the Michiana People podcast. My guest today is a strategic planning writer and consultant with a degree in creative writing and communications from Western Michigan University. And most importantly for today's conversation is executive producer of the Indigan Storyteller. Welcome to the podcast, Roger Batten. Thanks, Scott. Good to be here. 
And Roger came uh, to Mishawaka by way of Three Oaks, Michigan, so I appreciate you making the drive. Not a problem. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask you is um, when, I, when I was checking you out, when we were going to do the podcast, I looked up the word indigen and couldn't find a definition and just wanted to get uh, your take. I, I kind of looked at it, but I wanted to uh, find out how you came up with the name Indigan Storyteller. Well, I'm from Niles originally. Uh huh. Lived in Three Oaks for about 15 years. Lived on both coasts. And it's a funny thing around here. People refer to this area all the time as Michiana. Right. Michiana and Michiana Podcast. Uh huh. And. Um, I was casting about for a name, and the group of people that uh, have been with me from the start are from Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. Uh -huh. And I just thought, why not call it Indigo? Uh -huh. Because no one's using that. Everyone, right. If I say Michiana, uh -huh. I'm, I'm part of a big Me Too crowd. Right, right. And so I went with Indigo, and um, I, it also is a, is a word that has a good... Uh, uh, sound to it and it does it, it resonates it's mm -hmm. a little bit like uh indian uh -huh. and it's, so it has more of that you know fundamental basic primitive sound mm -hmm. indigen storyteller right and we we call it you know our focus is about having um a forest of storytellers our symbol is the oak tree mm -hmm. and just like a forest is a living entity but it's made up of individuals mm -hmm. And so what we're focused on is the individual storyteller, Indigen storyteller. Right. 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 That's great. Yeah. So your your background isn't necessarily in storytelling. Tell tell me first of all about your background. What 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 have you done with your life up to this point? Yeah, you know, it's it's a funny thing. I I think everyone's backgrounds in storytelling. Right. It's, I think it's intrinsic and it's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that we, we understand ourselves and the other people that are in our world is by telling one another our stories. Mm -hmm. So that, that is my uh, philosophy. But I, as, as you mentioned, I have a degree in creative writing and I worked for a long time in uh, corporate America and I worked primarily in the uh, quality and engineering fields. Okay. <clears throat> I was a designer at Wheelabrator. Okay. Long, long time ago. Right. And so other corporations like Clark Equipment, Conair, I, mm. I did uh, design work. Okay. And I got a degree in English, and um, I in 1981, I went to Dearborn, Michigan. Ford Motor Company was running their management through training with Dr. Deming, mm -hmm. Edwards Deming. Yeah. And Deming, the Deming philosophy changed my career trajectory. Right. I, I, I ultimately left uh, engineering and management, and I started a consulting company called Oak Tree Incorporated. Okay. And I did that for 27 years. Mm. And it was about team building and total quality management. Right. And all, but it was founded on the humanistic principles of Deming Right. Philosophy. Our my my company is uh, very entrenched in the the Deming philosophy as well. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, and so you know you know how that has human humanistic elements right. to it. Yeah, and so um, worked for a long time. Uh, in my in my later years, I focused on companies that were going through generational transition. Mm -hmm. In other words, the founders handing off the business to the successors. Mm -hmm. But I went through a big life-changing event uh, in 2012. Um, I'm a single guy now after being married 27 years. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to Chicago and took a class on a whim in storytelling. Uh -huh. And what I found out was that um, in Chicago, I've, I've done in the past three years a lot of research on storytelling. Mm -hmm. And my contention is worldwide, Chicago, Illinois is the epicenter of a growing wave of first-person, uh, authentic storytelling. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, another way to connect with this is through National Public Radio, NPR. Mm -hmm. And they have, a they have a, a radio show called The Moth. Okay. And The Moth is seven to ten minute true life stories 
told without any other, it's just a speaker's voice. Mm -hmm. And um, the Moth Radio Hour plays, I think, a couple times a week on NPR. They also have another show called Snap Judgment, which is very similar, except the Snap Judgment model has music interludes within the story. Mm -hmm. They'll have a musical run-up. A guy will talk for five minutes, and they'll play a little music, and then he'll finish his story. Okay. Yeah, it's just a little different. But that style of storytelling, I've uh, uh, I've labeled that Chicago-style storytelling. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it's very, very popular. If you Google Chicago storytelling shows, what you're going to find in Chicago is out of 365 days, right around 300 days a year, there's a storytelling show in Chicago. Wow. It's that popular. That, so out of the that's millions cool. Yeah, out of the millions of people that live over there, um, there is a really strong audience, I'm gonna guess, of around two hundred and fifty thousand to a half million people that are gonna take in one or two storytelling shows a month. Mm. It's just part of their entertainment lineup. Right. Just like you you're gonna to go to the movies every so often, you're gonna to go to the live music event they're going to live storytelling mm-hmm. shows and the chicago style again is is seven to ten minutes uh-huh. true life and then they have all kinds of themed shows you know like um well we do that we're getting ready to have a show up in three oaks michigan called ne- um the place is nito bianco uh-huh. art center and the theme of our show that's coming up on july the 8th friday july the 8th is called Stories You Never Told Mom or Dad. Okay. <laughs> so it's a theme show. Okay. Yeah. And so what uh, the way Indigan, the model of Indigan as I've conceived it is that uh, coming out of my, coming out of the workshop I attended, then I started performing stories mm-hmm. on stage. And then I thought, you know what? I can write my own workshop. Uh-huh. And I did. Yeah. I wrote a... Uh, 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 a workshop model based on my background, mm-hmm. which was included a lot of uh, you know adult education and factories. Uh-huh. So I had a lot of time doing that, and I'm very familiar with how to you know put across uh, educational opportunities to adults. Mm-hmm. I designed a six-hour workshop. I have uh, now Indigan Storyteller has five other producers. Mm-hmm. And the other producers help me lead the workshops. Okay. And so what we're doing there is is that we're taking people um, who want to potentially perform their story on stage. And in six hours, we take them from a germ of an idea to a pretty stage-ready uh, story. Okay. Yeah. And it's a, it's a big thrill for people to do that. Right. You know, one of our producer that's here in uh, your area, Mishawaka Ranger area, is Kevin Brunton. Kevin's probably, I think, 54. And for a long, long time, he played in bands. He was a bass player. Okay. And he just loved it. All kinds of bands like Zibby Tebow. Oh, okay. And, you know, the, I've probably seen him then. Yeah, you probably yeah. have. He, yeah. he played a long time. But he got out of it. And, you know, he's busy. He's in the IT world. Uh-huh. And um, I've known Kevin for a long time, and um, the Indigan Storyteller started to happen, and he said, you know what, I'm going to take that workshop. And what he found out is to push the same button for him that performing uh, in a band did, mm-hmm. that thrill of being on stage right. in front of a live audience, uh-huh. big thrill for him. Right. And so now he's done it uh, enough and been through it enough. We're getting ready this Sunday to have a work, more basic workshop at Morgan's Little Black Dog Tavern okay. at 100 Center. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll, you know, we don't charge a lot of money. It's $35. Mm-hmm. You get six hours. Uh, Morgan's will have a lunch menu available. Mm-hmm. And Morgan's is a great place. It is a nice place. Yeah. Yeah. And we're lucky to have such a good I've venue. had several meals there. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we're lucky to have such a venue. Have you been upstairs to their big uh, yes. performing area? Yeah, we have. Yeah. And so what we'll do is we'll, you know, we're looking to get 7 to 12 people mm-hmm. to come. Out of that 7 to 12 people, I'd like to have four or five of them. Then two or three weeks later, 
the actual date is going to be um, Thursday, July 14th, and the theme of that show is Hot Summer Night Stories. Okay. It's a little takeoff on uh, movie Grease, uh-huh. so it's Hot Summer Night, <laughs> and uh, we're going to have four or five new people come in, and then I'll bring four or five of our more seasoned storytellers for a good bet. Uh-huh. And the fun thing about that is, is that um, the people that are new to storytelling, it's always so great to see their family and friends show up for the show. Uh-huh. We usually charge 10 bucks a person for the show, which is much less than a movie ticket with popcorn. Right, right. And, oh, yeah. uh, and of course, at Morgan's, you get to have the full beverage right. thing, so you can have uh-huh. a drink, a glass of wine, and right. uh, enjoy the show, but... It's it's such an amazing thing to watch people that some have been on stage, maybe they were in a school play or mm-hmm. a civic theater or uh, were in a band like Kevin, for uh-huh. whatever reason. they Or they, in their professional career, they've done a lot of PowerPoint presentations mm-hmm. or right. those kinds of things, or sales pitches or marketing, advertising, whatever they did. But to see them take something that's true out of their life... Mm-hmm. And craft that into a performance art story is uh, is an amazing thing. Right. And they're so excited by the opportunity to do that. Some of them, you know, get the typical nerve things. We've had a couple throw oh. up in the bathroom. Oh, and, yeah. You know, That's good for you. Yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then they drink heavily after the show's yeah. over. <laughs> and that's good for you sometimes, too. Right, yeah. right. And so um, it's it's an amazing uh, transition to see people come in with just an idea. But here's the thing that I believe about all of that. You know, Malcolm Gladwell uh, famously in The Tipping Point wrote that it's 10,000 hours uh, to mastery. Mm-hmm. Right? And right. So uh, that's almost like uh, just conventional wisdom now. Mm-hmm. So if you break that down, and let's say Roger wanted to play the guitar, well... 10,000 hours is five years at 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And at my age, I'm not going to do that. Right. <laughs> it's not in the cards for me to become yeah. a master guitar player. Yeah. And uh, for and if you think of most of the arts or sports, that is the uh, that is the reality for all of us. I mean, oh, even yeah. Michael Jordan, for heaven's sake, yep. who was one of the world's greatest athletes mm-hmm. trying to make the transition from basketball to baseball. Right. Could do it. Right. I mean, he did it. Yeah. He did okay. Yeah. But he couldn't get in the bigs because he spent all this time in basketball. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Here's my contention with storytelling is of all of the performing arts, name any kind of performing art that you want to name. Mm-hmm. Storytelling, the threshold to mastery is the lowest. And the reason why is humans always tell stories. Right. It's like when you and I met today. Mm-hmm. We give each other our backstories. Right, right. So how many hours, how many thousands of hours have you spent in your lifetime telling stories about your life to other people? A lot. So you've yeah. logged all those hours. Right, right, right. And you're pretty good at yep. it. Most people are. Right. And then it's just not too much of a reach for them to come to a six-hour workshop and then go ahead and... Yeah, and go to that next level. Right. Yeah, I gotta say that uh, you you talk about uh, when the people get the nerves before they before they go up. Now just just a short story that I'll give you. Um, this, I think it was uh, towards the end of uh, 2015. My company, one of the um, guys who organizes a company party. Uh, came to me and said, you know, we've had a magician for the last three company parties and we're kind of tired of him. We'd like for you to do a comedy bit because I'm kind of the funny guy at work. And I immediately said no because I've never done comedy in front of people. And he let it go for about a month and asked me again and said, I said no. And then he comes back at me about a week later and he says, you know, we'll pay you. And at that point, I... It was my ego thinking because if they pay me to do comedy, that means I'm a professional comedian. So I said, let me ask my wife. So I went home and talked to Lisa about it. And she said, well, 
obviously you should do it, even if they don't pay. I said, well, I want them to pay me because I want to be a professional comedian. So I put my act together. I never practiced it. I had everything on paper. I read a, a few bits aloud to my wife and, and things like that. I had absolutely no nerves at all. And I had like six weeks before, before I was to do it. We got up and we, 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 talk about, we talked about Grand Mirror before we came. This was a February, it was this February, uh, Saturday morning. I woke up at like 7 in the morning. I slept in and I came up with one of the biggest panic attacks I ever had. And my wife said my eyes were like saucers. I was white and I was just scared to death. And it wasn't necessarily the fact that I was going to go out and perform for people. It was people I know. And I was going to go back to work Monday morning and talk to them. And so I told Lisa, I said, you know, it's not that cold. Let's go do our Grand Mirror walk. And <laughs> we, we, went up to Grand Mirror and did our walk and then I was okay and we, we talked about how for some reason that walk seems to center you and I was okay and I went and did, did my thing and it turned out just fine but that feeling as scary as it is it puts you back to being alive and and every I think everybody should do it it's just it's just uh, the the coolest feeling it, as, as dead scared as I was it just it, it just makes you feel alive it gets all your senses going so Absolutely. that's great My, one, one of the things that I have noticed is um, in order to appreciate storytelling uh, you you kind of have had to been involved with a good storyteller in your life now in on in my life, it was my grandma on my dad's side. And she started out, uh, she was an antique dealer, and I would go to the shows when I was little and to the auctions with her. And she started out with Once Upon a Time stories, and I had no idea how she could, you know, we'd be an hour and a half from home, how she could start a story when we started driving and it would end when we got to the driveway of my house. I had no idea how she could do that. But then she, as I got older, she started telling stories because I grew up in Depression area, that she was married in Depression area and the people that they took in and things like that and how they played Parcheesi and all that. And she just was a great storyteller. And that's kind of gone to my dad because he's into genealogy and he likes the stories more than just putting the dates down. So he, he likes to write up the stories, and then when we sit down and talk, he tells the stories to me that, that he found out. So did you have, in, in your life, did you have any storytellers that kind of influenced you, that made that click for you? Yeah, it was, it was a little different in uh -huh. a way. My, my family, both my parents, were born in western Tennessee. Okay. And in 1937, there was a big flood in western Tennessee, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like a 100-year flood. Uh -huh. And they were uh, they became, you know, natural disaster refugees. And they had large families, mm -hmm. 11 in my mother's family, 12 in my dad's. And what they did was they uh, had to go live in the camps all that summer. Okay. And the, what the men did was they left the uh, they left the camps, and they rode freight trains up to western Michigan and pick fruit. Uh -huh. So when I was a little boy, uh, uh, my, after the war, my parents settled in Niles, Michigan. Uh -huh. But my, my extended family, I had 63 first cousins. Okay. So they would come up and they would work in the migrant camps in the, in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And some of the memories I had as a little boy was going to those migrant camps. We lived in, we lived in Niles in a, a house similar to this, but... Mm -hmm. um, the, every year, the migrants had to form a community. It was a lot of different families, mm -hmm. but they lived together all summer in right. the same place. And we would, every night, sit around the campfire, mm -hmm. and they would tell stories of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so it was that rich storytelling culture. Yeah. They had no money. Mm -hmm. They didn't have radios. They mm -hmm. didn't have television. Right. They, all they did was really a basic human contact thing. Uh -huh. to, so one after the other would tell a story about their family or their lives. Right. And that was the tradition that I grew up in. Right. 
<clears throat> so now I produce storytelling shows. I guess that fits. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And I on your website there's a there's some uh, uh, episodes where you recorded some of the folks uh, telling their stories, and it's really funny because uh, as 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 you cross the threshold of fifty, you start thinking about those moments in your life that that stick with you, and you can't remember anything before that moment and after that moment for years, but it's something that sticks with you. And that moment may have lasted 30 seconds, but man, can you tell a story about it? It right. just, it, because it's something that just totally changed your life at that point. And it's, it's kind of neat how you can, you, you can come up with a seven, seven to 15 minute story about just about anything. Right. And you know, th this is something we, we go through in our in our workshops, mm -hmm. which is the best stories are stories that have a turning point in people's lives. Right. You go into the story one way and you come out of it at a different right. way. Right. Whatever that event was right. in particular. Uh-huh. And everyone has those in their lives, mm -hmm. those moments. Right. And the other thing that important happens, if it's a well-told story, the audience vicariously lives through that experience right. the way that you, you the storyteller mm -hmm. does. And so so many times at the end of these and the other thing to remember, the way Indigan packages our shows is we have the new people come to the show and bring their friends and family. Mm -hmm. And chances are really good if the, let's say a storyteller brought seven other people. Mm -hmm. Chances are pretty good most of those people's heard this story before. Right. It's not it's not that new. Mm -hmm. And and then there's maybe four or five new storytellers, so there might be thirty or forty people in the audience mm -hmm. that are the family members or the close personal friends of the storytellers that are performing that night. Right. One of the things you get when that happens is a very warm and supportive audience. Mm -hmm. They're there to support whoever their storyteller is. Right. And then, but the whole feeling in the audience is completely different than, say, comedy. Mm -hmm. It's all very warm and inviting, and people are revealing something about their lives. Right. And uh, when they craft the story, then um, they're able to take ownership of their story. And I wanted to talk about that for a minute because. Mm -hmm. Last year, I went on a research trip to Europe, mm -hmm. and I went to I went to Prague, in the Czech Republic, Dublin, Ireland, and Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And each one of those places, I participated in larger festivals that were multi-dimensional. Mm -hmm. In other words, they weren't just about storytelling. Right. And all of this is on our website, uh, IndiganStoryteller.org pictures and, and my blog about that. But I came out of that I came out of that with a with a storytelling philosophy that I talk about now. I call it the five layers of life. And here's the thing I discovered is that we can take ownership of a story. So a lot of people have come to our workshops and they have a story that they want to tell. And the kind of story I'm talking about is what I call close to the heart story. Mm -hmm. Maybe about the death of a loved person mm -hmm. or some big life event like a car wreck or some of it's, uh, you know, being uh, incarcerated. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things. You know, unimaginable uh, the things that people experience. Right. But in the five layers of light, what I found out is is that first, here's the five layers. I just want to give them quickly. First is the context that we're born in gives us story. Mm -hmm. So me being from Niles, Michigan, you know, and working in a blue-collar family, there was a context to my story. Mm -hmm. and, and the story that I wake up with every day, that's the first layer. You wake up with a story that's going to play in your head. Mm -hmm. I wake up, everybody listening to this podcast, you wake up in the morning, part of that is influenced by that f second layer, which is the context you're born in. Mm -hmm. First layer is the story you wake up with. Second layer is the context you're born into. Third layer are all the people that gave you input right. all your life. Your teachers, your family, your mm -hmm. uncles, your aunts, your neighbors, everybody. Right. Your people you work with, people you work for. 
They give you story. Mm -hmm. So all of this is part of that first story you wake up with in the morning. Right. The fourth layer is, is when you come to a place in your life, and you and I have talked long enough already today. Uh-huh. You're at the fourth layer of story because you're taking ownership of the story about after your kids left home. Right. And you're telling people about it. Right. You, I would say you're at the fourth layer. You're taking ownership of your story. Mm-hmm. The fifth layer is when you can really go out and tell the world about it. You have Now you have something to really share to a bigger uh-huh. audience. Right. And you're kind of doing that through your podcast. Mm-hmm. People who listen to your podcast over a period of time, they're going to get to know you. Right. Because your story's blended in with uh, these people you interview. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what, what happens, what I've seen happen is... I've seen people come in and the story owns them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Here's yeah. what I'm saying. If, if somebody wakes up in the morning and they had a disaster, let's say that their, their father died tragically. Mm-hmm. And then let's say it happened as a teenager. Mm-hmm. I'm just making this up. Right. But every day when they wake up, there's a little hurt that they live under. Right. Because that they can't get over that story. Right. Here's what I saw, and the reason I came up with the five layers is I saw people come to the workshop, and something happens when you take, you go through the process, and we're talking about, think about the plot of the story. What was it like in the beginning? When did everything change? What was the ending? Who were the characters? How did they interact? Where, mm-hmm. What was the setting? What was the time of year? What was the, the year it happened in? Where were you located? And all of a sudden, they take their stories and they break them down into these pieces. And it's like they lay them out on the table. And instead of uh, looking at the story as something that happened that can't ever change, they're starting to think about how to put all those pieces back together and tell them in a way that it's going to be accessible to an audience. Right. Something magic happens. Mm-hmm. They, at the end of that process, I've seen this work time and time again, they own the story instead of being caught under the story. Right. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. And, you know, some of my other colleagues go, well, Roger, we're not therapists. We're not into therapy. And I'm, I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't know. I'm a creative writing degree. Right. I'm not a therapist. But there's, a, there's something magical that happens when people are able to um, break the stories down into their parts. And I've seen people come out of that. And they've told me, they've shared with me, I mean, deeply emotional sharing, saying, this this freed me in a way that I never knew was possible, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so uh, I wanted to say that because... that That's so important because we do all wake up with those things that we are under. We're under. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the truth, Scott. Here's the truth, I think. And I, I, your listeners can, you know, ping me on the email or whatever you want. But here's here's the truth. If some, something horrible happened to me when I was 16, mm-hmm. all of the other people who were there remember it differently than I do. Mm-hmm. They don't remember everything the way that I do. Right. They, they didn't have the emotional context that I had going into the tragedy. Right. You know? And so, consequently, things that were small things that really mattered to me, they might not even have noticed. Right. And it was a long time ago. It was decades yeah. Yeah. since I was 16. And I have to ask myself, do I really remember it that way? Mm-hmm. Something, there's something important about that, which is, is, do you believe that those stories can never change? Mm-hmm. If you believe that that story, however it is composed in your brain when you wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. if you believe that it can never change, then it's never going to change. Right. You go to an Indigan storyteller or some other storytelling workshop and suddenly you're working on that story and there's a guy or a gal up there and says, now who were the main characters? Mm-hmm. And what time of day was it? And what season of the year was it? Mm-hmm. What city was it in? And all of a sudden you're writing. We give them an hour to an hour and a half break at lunch and they're writing. Uh-huh. And they're recalling all of that. And, and we always say... Nobody else who was there is going to remember it the way that you do anyway. Right. So write your story. Yeah. Write your own it. Uh-huh. Write your story. And remember, you're going to take this to the stage. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, people are going to have to be able to connect with this for it to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. It can't, you know, don't dwell on the hard parts. Right. 
get make make craft a story that they can really get into mm-hmm. and they understand who you are. Right. And all, all of a sudden, people start to believe. You know what? I always thought about it that way, but it, it, I'll give you an example. Here's a quick example. A tragedy happened to me when I was 16. It was a tragedy. It was horrible. And I, can, I can't get over it. It was painful. And I, I live with that pain every day. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Here's another way. Something, a, a horrible thing happened when I was 16. Mm-hmm. But in all the years since I've been 16, I found a way to bounce back from that. I found a way to be able to live a successful life. And even though it, it, it hurt hurt me badly and it hurts me, it doesn't own me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm now able to, to go out in the world and focus my energies on what I need to do for yeah. the rest of the time that I have. Yeah. I don't have to live under that story anymore. Yeah. That that's a very simple shift in thinking. Right. And so when people are able to do that, um, it's a wonderful thing. Now, having said that, a lot of people come to our workshops and they don't want to go close to the heart uh-huh. they want to they want to tell a funny story mm-hmm. about the time that they got thrown by the horse at the dude ranch uh-huh. and they just want to be able to tell an interesting entertaining funny story mm-hmm. perfectly fine our our model fits right the whole continue right right the the neat thing you say it's not therapy but uh and and you don't have to call it therapy but when you take those things and you force yourself to break them down to exactly what happened and how you saw it and how you came out of it that i mean that that really is therapy because you you you're taking it from here and i'm pointing to my chest and my heart and you're putting it out here and when you put it out there and look at it a little bit logically so that because you have to verbalize it in, in an entertaining way, man, there, there. I, I can't think of any better way to get something like that out. Yeah, it's self therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're whoever that person is that's doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, our workshops, we talk for about. It's a six hour deal. That includes lunch. Mm-hmm. But we talk for about forty minutes in the beginning, and then we go. Okay, everybody, write down an idea of what your story's about. What are the three main plot parts, and who's the main character? Now, right. find somebody else in the group and break out with them and just tell one-on-one, tell each other. Uh-huh. So the f- very first thing they do in a workshop is just tell one person. Right. And it's not the whole story. It's just those little chunks. Right, right. right. And so what happens is the st- the, the, a transitional thing happens. A story becomes externalized. Mm-hmm. It, it leaves the inner person and it goes out. Mm-hmm. And then it's shared. And then they come back and we say, okay, who's brave enough to get up and tell us just those parts? Mm-hmm. A third or a half will do that. Right. And then we go through more lecture about crafting stories, more of the uh, craft of the story. Mm-hmm. And then same thing happens. You break out with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Then they come back and they get a little more. And then we go, okay, now we're really ready. Everybody's going to go away for an hour and a half, and you're going to write your story. Uh-huh. And people bring their computers or iPads or pieces of paper, whatever they right. get. They just bust off to different parts of the space we're in, mm-hmm. and they they write their story. And then they come back. By then, they've told their story three times. Mm-hmm. Okay, So then, then it's again, who wants to get up and share? Right. No. Right. And just give us the thumbnail. because And it's a shared thing because we're all there. We're all... We're all doing the same thing. Right. You know, no, nobody's expecting a star. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and then we go through another lecture series, and that lecture is about the performance art, mm-hmm. what you do with your body, your voice, mm-hmm. your eye contact, right. all of those performance elements. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, we all you typically have a glass of wine. <laughs> and uh, Or two. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody goes on stage, and we're all like a really relaxed group, and people go on stage and tell their stories. Uh-huh. You know, and it's really a wonderful, um, you know, a great deal of the benefit is from the other people. Uh-huh. You know, it isn't just all the facilitators. Right. It's the bonding that goes on as we share our stories yeah. throughout the day. Right. So that that is our that is our workshops. There's some other things about Endigan I, I would also say we do the performances. Uh, we have uh, 
several coming up. There's another aspect to storytelling that I've recently become licensed to do, okay. which is called Pecha Kucha. Okay. P-E-C-H-A-K-U-C-H-A. Okay. It means chit-chat in Japanese. Okay. Yeah. In 2003, uh, some architects were having a big conference in Sweden, and they had a problem because it was in like 2002. Architects would get up with a slideshow, and they would talk for an hour. Mm-hmm. They were like dragging them off the stage. Yeah. So they created a form style, 20 slides, 20 seconds each. And you mm-hmm. get to talk while the slides are changing. Okay. So that's it. Six minutes and 40 seconds. All right? Mm-hmm. So a uh, young architect uh, who lives in Japan created Pechakucha. And now the Pechakucha form style, you have to have a license to do it. Mm-hmm. And I got the license for Three Oaks. Okay. And uh, uh, we present Pechakucha Nights. And we have 10... Storytellers go up and they have a slideshow. Mm-hmm. It's just like a PowerPoint, right? Or um, keynote, uh-huh. and they they twenty slides, twenty seconds, and you talk while it's going on. Uh-huh. And it's it's a big hit, and nine hundred cities worldwide are holding Pecha Kucha nights. Wow! There's usually at least a hundred per month somewhere in the world. Huh? Yeah. And when when we finish our Pecha Kuchas, uh-huh. we upload the Pecha Kuchas and the uh, audio uh-huh. to their website, and people all over the world oh. watch our Pecha Kuchas. Well, that, that's neat. And, man, I can really see that translating into the business world, because I've, I've sat through some boring, boring... <laughs> Presentations. Yeah, people get up there and they get self-indulgent and they get involved in what they're doing. Yeah, or they get lost. They get lost. Yeah, I've done a few myself where I've just gotten lost. (laughs) So in July on the twenty-first at the Acorn Theater is Three Oaks Pechacucha Night Volume Three. Okay. Right at the Acorn. Wow. We're taking over the main stage at the Acorn. We Uh have eight presenters. And I have two uh, co-producers there, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth Nudie and Kay Hartman. Mm-hmm. They're co-producers. Okay. And, um, they help me with this. Some other things I just want to get in because I know we're going on pretty long here. but um, I, I, I don't put time limits on these. So. Okay. When it starts getting boring, I'll tell you. All right. <laughs> That's a challenge. <laughs> it's but, still daylight. Yeah. <laughs> But there's another there's another thing happening next week. Elizabeth Nudie is a visionary artist, yoga instructor, and the creator of something called the Wish Deck. Okay. And the Wish Deck is a 58 card proto language. It's all images. There's no words. Mm-hmm. And it's a creativity and inner voice, um, uh, a way to access your inner voice. You know, humans, before we had language, before we had words, each one of us had our own peculiar language based on imagery Mm -hmm. and sensory, other senses, smell, and that sort of thing. But primarily image. And until we started learning the consensual meaning of words, we had that peculiar way that we interacted with the world. It's unique uh-huh. to us as individuals. And then it's kind of like the five layers. Then as the as the years go by and we learn what consensual meaning, what does red mean? Uh-huh. What does go mean? Right. What, what does take mean? We learn those things and then you pile on all the years of the educational system and work and family and everything. Mm. We lose connection with that original voice that we have mm. as a as an infant. Right. And so what Elizabeth has been able to do with the wish deck is create a a a, a way, a means, a mechanism. And I've seen this operate in all kinds of places. You bust out the wish deck and you get people talking about what does a card mean to you? And they're able to access that inner voice. So a fun thing that we're doing next week, we're having a workshop it's going to run on Tuesday and Thursday next week from 1 to 4. It's a six-hour workshop, but we broke it into two days because we're dealing with people ages 11 to 17. Mm-hmm. And we have these little 
uh, kids, you know, 11-year-olds, pretty young child. Yeah. And 17-year-olds are still not quite out there in the world. They're still, you know, have one foot in their childhood. Right, right. And so um, we're going to work the, that group of young people, and the outcome of this, our, our, our design plan, is to have, for the first time, I think worldwide, People in the age group 11 to 17 have a Pechacucha night of their own. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and Elizabeth is, like I say, she's a visionary artist and the thing. We're working on a question. Mm-hmm. And the question that we're going to confront the kids with at the workshop to sort of open them up to get them working. And they all have cell phones. Mm-hmm. And they all have a lot of images. And they all like right. to draw. Mm-hmm. And you can put anything up picture-wise. Mm-hmm. You can make drawings and take a picture of right. it. Right is what, from your inner voice, what will the world be? What will, does the world need? Mm-hmm. What is the world? How do you comprehend the world? Tell, young person, tell us about the world. Mm-hmm. And, and create an atmosphere during the workshop where there's very little adult um, you know, constraint that these young people can uh, access their inner voice mm. and uh, be able to take this to a slideshow and then be able to put that out for the entire world to see. I bet there's a lot of surprises. Yeah, well, there is. Yeah. They say they say things that you just, adults would be like, what? Mm. You know, it's just like, and we, we actually met a couple of the younger kids yesterday. One of the young girls, a beautiful young girl named Morgan, is, is a young person who had uh, epilepsy and had to have a good portion of the left hemisphere of her brain removed. Mm-hmm. And, but she talks and she's fully functional. She mm-hmm. has some problems on the right side. Mm-hmm. But we got the wish deck out and put it out for her and we started talking about what do the cards mean. And she was like, this is magic. Mm-hmm. She went straight to the magic zone uh-huh. and was telling us all kinds of creating... You know, big, complicated stories about right. what she saw in one card. Right. And it was just beautiful to see her be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we do the, we do the uh, Elizabeth Booty and I are doing the, we call it Inner Voice Out. And uh, and the goal, design goal of that is to get eight, I'd love to have ten, young people do a Pecha Kucha night and then launch that out into the world. Yeah. And that's another thing we're doing. That. That's really interesting to me. That's 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 really really cool. Now there's other there's other things for me to talk about too. Okay. So uh, well, let me. I, one of the things I wanted to ask you you touched on uh, technology and Pechacucha and uh, getting back to the storytelling and how that is becoming more and more popular. Do you feel like that first of all technology kind of uh, push storytelling down a little bit and now that the rise of it is kind of because we missed it in our lives and we need it because that that's kind of what i'm getting yeah you're exactly right and a bigger in a bigger cultural phenomena Mm -hmm. you know uh living in a virtual world you see it all the time Mm -hmm. you go go to a restaurant you know i've even been to people's houses and they have young ones and the whole family can't get through a meal without everybody just noodling on their screen right and um, the virtual world we have more control in the virtual world mm-hmm. if we don't like what somebody's saying we just move on mm-hmm. if we don't like someone we just move on right it, it isn't like the real world where you have someone standing in front of you that you don't like or you don't like the message that you're receiving right you just kind of stay there and deal with it right and so, you know, it, it, it speaks, I think the screen world speaks, the virtual world speaks to a control uh, element that yes. we have. Mm-hmm. But something, it doesn't matter because um, ultimately we have to be with people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that if you took someone and just isolated them and didn't let them have anything but screens, screens but no human contact, no uh-huh. touching... Well, I, I read a thing about in in, in uh, California. They have a job called um, uh, hugger. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard did, about this concept did, called skin hunger. Uh huh. Uh-uh. Yeah, skin hunger. 
that shut-ins and people that are isolated for whatever reason, you know, like elderly people uh-huh. or invalid people, um, they get a they get a they get a condition where they just crave to have physical touch of another human. Uh-huh. So they have people right. who get a you know they go to the office and they get an itinerary. Mm-hmm. They go to places and they sit down and they hug people for right. like an hour and get paid to do it. Right, and right. Humans need human contact. Uh-huh. And the way we the way we learn about humans is through stories. So, yes, you're exactly spot on. You go to a, a club or a place like Nito Bianco or the Acorn, and you sit in an audience and you're 15 feet away from a man or a woman or a kid, mm-hmm. and they're telling you something really important right. that happened in their lives. Mm-hmm. And if the audience is big enough, in Chicago, uh, I, did, I told a story at the City Winery, 350 people. Uh-huh. Okay, it was a big audience. Right. Out of the 350 people, our chances are pretty good. There are some people in there who had a very similar experience oh, to yeah. what I did. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of those things start to load up and become, um, you know, manifest and important, which is that I'm not alone. Right. There's somebody else who's been through this. People came up to me and embraced me afterwards and cried with me mm-hmm. and said, that happened to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can't get that from, you know, a movie screen no. or a television show. Right. Yeah. And, so and I've, the funny thing is, is I've, I've read some very compelling blog articles, uh, some that have even made me emotional, but it doesn't compare. It, there, there, there is absolutely no comparison to being in the same room and looking in their eyes as they're talking. Yep. And and the funny thing is, we talk about technology. You see a TV on my wall here. Um, while my kids were growing up, uh, that was a an absolute no no. Uh, they they pushed me for the whole time they were home to have a TV in the living room, and I said, "There's going to be one room in this house that has absolutely no technology, and it's going to be this one." <laughs> now they're gone. They they both come home since, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah there it is." Yeah, you put it? yeah, I said, "Well, it's because we never go downstairs except for to exercise, and if we're watching TV, we're laying in bed. I wanted to have something so that we're not laying in bed at seven o'clock at night." So, yeah. uh, so, but yeah, I, 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 I'm even though I work in in technology, I'm I'm pretty resistive. And the funny thing is about this podcast, I can't tell you how many people have said. You've got to do this in video. And I am very resistant because you and I are looking at each other when we're talking. We're not worried about a camera. Uh, we're not worried about what we look like. We there's, there's nothing going on except for us talking. And I think that that makes a better output than having a video camera watching us talk. So I, I agree. Yeah. You know, uh, we In the early days of Indigan, we videotaped all the stories and put them up on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it was boring. And, you know, it also limits the places that you can safely watch something uh, limits your audience. Mm-hmm. And so the, all the big outlets for storytelling, it's all audio. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people listen to them in their cars or when right. they're walking mm-hmm. or in places where you just can't access a screen right. video. Right. But I, um, yes. And you know, I'm I'm doing research. I'm getting. I'm planning another trip to Europe. Uh, in 2014, um, I was tagged. Indigan Storyteller and I were tagged to go to San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, mm-hmm. which is where they hold the big literary festival every February. And you know, a couple of years, they they get the big hitters. Mm-hmm. Scott Thoreau, um, Gloria Steinem. Alice Walker, mm-hmm. you know, the big hitter authors go in February to San Miguel, mm-hmm. worldwide event. Condé Nast said it was uh, the number one literary event in the world. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do something in the fall to bring an audience into San Miguel. Mm-hmm. So they made a contract with Indigan, and I took three other producers, Greg Fraley, Mary Dean Kaysen, and the owner of the Acorn Theater, David Fink, mm-hmm. and we went to San Miguel Day we did a workshop and the International Storytelling Festival and Competition. Mm-hmm. And I was executive producer uh-huh. of the whole thing. And what that really got me interested in and really got me itchy and I needed to scratch was 
what's really happening with storytelling worldwide? Mm -hmm. Because if you, like I said earlier, if you Google Chicago storytelling events, you'll see 300 a year. Mm -hmm. I went to New Orleans, there was probably 50 a year. Yeah. I was in San Francisco and Monterey, a couple hundred a year. Yeah. I don't know about New York City, right? but I do know that the storytelling, the first person live storytelling show as a performance art form is only 10 or 15% of where it's going to be within the next 10 years. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, this is going to expand dramatically, mm -hmm. and that's why End Again, this summer, we uh, August will be three years. Mm -hmm. We primarily performed and done workshops in Three Oaks. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting ready this Sunday to do our first in Mishawaka. Mm -hmm. And in July, we're going to be doing uh, our basic workshop then show at the Lubeznik Center in Michigan City. Okay. And again, Endigan makes no money. Mm -hmm. It's a break-even proposition. Right. And some people said, well, why don't you make it a non-for-profit? And I said, you know what? I don't care. I don't want to have a board. I don't want to have right. regulations and rules. I proved to IRS that it's break-even. I'm not uh -huh. making any money. Right. And then money doesn't contaminate the deal. Right. It right. seems like to me that money just screws up art. Yeah. You know, just keep the money thing off the table. Everybody knows what's going on with the money. Right. It's not that hard to figure out. Right. So then last year, I carried my research on into Europe. Mm -hmm. And I found out over there, there's a whole different manifestation of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And the Chicago-style storytelling is not a thing in Europe. Mm -hmm. Very isolated pockets here or there. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm going to go back over there to different countries. Mm -hmm. Hoping to go in September, if not October, but um, then I'm, you know, my plan is going to take me to Australia, and New Zealand. Okay. And so, like, I'm doing research worldwide mm -hmm. to find out what the state of storytelling is. Right. But there's another couple of aspects to this that are interesting. I think your audience might like to hear about. I'm also sanctioned. Indigen storytellers sanctioned by StoryCorps, who is running a big program for the Library of Congress called the Veterans History Project. Okay. And what that is, is they have a like 20 pages of process mm -hmm. you have to follow, but you get a first-person story of a veteran's military history. Wow. Yeah. And it has to be 30 minutes long. Mm -hmm. It has to be recorded a certain way, and there's uh -huh. certain things you have to talk about, and and then you get the veteran to donate all of their artifacts, all their letters, all their discharge papers, all their medals and everything. You bundle it all together. Mm -hmm. You ship it to the Library of Congress. Six to eight months later, that veteran gets his own web page. Wow. Where for as long as there's a federal government in the United States, uh -huh. that could be a long, long time. Right. There's going to be a page where I, my brothers and I did my father's story. Uh -huh. Yeah, my father died in 96. Uh -huh. But we did his story. And there's going to be a web page that my father, Bifle Batten, his story will be there. Uh -huh. And so, you know, the most recent guy we did was Chester Leshman, who was 94, he'll be 95, June 30th. Okay. And we did his story. He's blind. Uh -huh. He walks with a cane. Mm -hmm. And he, that guy came in and gave us his story. Mm -hmm. It was a wonderful thing. Right. So what I'm I'm saying uh, there's a there's elements to storytelling. This is a very textured thing, mm -hmm. right? All the way from that 11 year old girl, Morgan, all right. the way to 94 year old Chester. Yeah. Everybody in between, and we're c covering the whole age continuum. Right. But there's even more. StoryCorps has a um, uh, program. It's an app on your phone. And this fall in Thanksgiving, we're going to be participating in the great, I think it's called the Great Shoutout. Okay. And what that is, is the teenagers, they're encouraging teenagers to take this app, get the, get the adult who you have the closest relationship with, uh -huh. that's a good storyteller, uh -huh. take that and get them in a bedroom while Thanksgiving's going on uh -huh. and have them tell you a story into your phone. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. And then the kids take it and they upload it directly up to StoryCorps mm -hmm. and then StoryCorps puts it in the folklore section of uh -huh. the Library of Congress again. Wow. Yeah. 
So like you were talking earlier about your grandmother. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like if you had access to that technology then, mm-hmm. you could is she alive now? No, she's not. Yeah. So, yeah. And so we're we're going to be working with the school systems up in our neck of the woods uh-huh. to get uh, uh, kids to record their uh, family members' yeah. stories. Yeah. They don't need me. Right. This is just a. This, I'm just a like a gatekeeper or what an access point. Right. Right. I'm, I'm just letting people know that this yeah. exists in the world. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a thumbs up for technology then. So. There you go. Yeah. It isn't all bad. <laughs> yeah. Really. So the whole storytelling thing is has become like. Full-time job for me. Yeah. And I, I just love it. I've met the most interesting people and uh, heard the most amazing stories. And I would encourage everyone that's listening to, you know, go to our website and look at all of the things that are happening with Indigo. We cover from, we're pulling people all the way from Elkhart to Chesterton up mm-hmm. to St. Joe. Right. That's a pretty good span. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's always something going on. Right. And um, great group of people. And um, they'll they'll have a, a good chance. And it isn't just about going on stage and performing. It's about owning your story and not having to exist in a world where a story owns you. Right, right. Yeah. There's nothing more cathartic than that. Yeah. That's that's great. And, and you and I talked a little bit before we started recording, and I think we both have a similar story that... Uh, we're doing our ventures not to make any money. It's just an outlet. But I think it sounds like for you, um, you got more out of it than you expected, just like I do. Your your circle of friends suddenly becomes bigger. Your outlook becomes a lot more mature because you're seeing different sides of the story from from people who you're sitting with and talking with. And, and I, I guess you really don't, understand that until you go through it but as an individual you can just go out and talk to people <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to sit in front of a screen you can just go out and, and if, if if you can't if you can't get in front of a if you can't get to a uh, story storytelling event or something like that just go out and talk to somebody it can be a relative it can be a friend it could be a co-worker have lunch with them and 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 listen to them and have them listen to you and it just it just uh, it opens your world, it does. And, and, Absolutely. and and it's neat to do be able to do something like what we're doing, where it's a little bit regimented. And I know that my my listening audience is expecting at least one of these a week, and so that means I need to hustle and make sure I'm getting interviews done and things like that. But the, the what I get from it is so much more than what I'm putting into it. So it's it's definitely definitely worthwhile. Um, I am going to when I post this, I'm going to make sure I uh, first of all have links to the events that you have. Uh, I will also put links up to your website uh, and and uh, like I like I told you uh, when we were texting back and forth that. Uh, Everything you do from now on, I, I'll make sure to promote. That's great. We and, really appreciate and, uh, it. And uh, it's just a real pleasure to have you come in uh, and tell me about this because it's, it, it's, it's, fa- it's fascinating, but it also just makes sense yeah. that, that, that we're getting into an era where the things that people did so long ago so well it's becoming more commonplace and and uh, i really appreciate you uh doing this because it's uh it's definitely something that i think is needed in our society thank you yeah and you know it's like you said i i i started with this and i thought well i'm gonna do a workshop and then i'm gonna have an event yeah and the next thing you know i'm in europe and uh it's been a game changer for me you know i even to the degree, like, I've traveled a lot over my life, all over the world. and But when I went to Europe last year, when I got off the plane, my phone rang, and it was a producer from the Magnet Festival in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And she was like, when are you going to be downtown? And when are, where we need to meet you? And yeah. So instead of being a tourist, all uh-huh. of a sudden I was part of a bigger oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went to their houses and had dinner with them. Mm-hmm. My whole perspective on travel... Just became. I wouldn't think of just 
Now, maybe I might go to the Caribbean in February. Yeah. Lay on the beach or <laughs> beach walk down there. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in terms of, like, going someplace to have a uh, have a vacation now, the, I, I, I can't imagine why I wouldn't tie it to storytelling events. Oh, right, right. Yeah. It right. just is a bit, yeah. yeah. When you do stuff like this, your, your, your whole social situation changes the way you interact with people and, and you're always, you're always looking for those stories and you're always looking for those people and, Hey, you'd, you'd be good to be on the podcast and, you <laughs> and you're doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, because ultimately every person that comes on your podcast is telling you their story. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's just a ton of fun. Oh, Roger, I appreciate you sitting down and talking to Thank me. Thank you so much. Uh, this is going to be a special episode, folks. So uh, we're recording on, this is Tuesday, right? And so it should be up by Wednesday morning. Uh, so this is going to be a special episode because I want to make sure that we get word out about your events coming up and uh, hopefully get some action going and let people know that this is out there for come, them. Get on the website and come out to Morgan's this Sunday. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Roger. Thank you, sir. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. 